and let's prepare our hearts. Bless you. Amen. Before I minister tonight, there's a couple of things that I, I feel like I need to say. And first off, I just want to tell you what a joy it's been for me to be here these last couple of days. I have felt so welcomed and cared for and spoiled rotten. And um, I can tell you're a giving church, you're an embracing church, and that is learned through your leadership. So how many of you appreciate Pastor Siggy and Pastor Annie and all they've poured into you? Amen. I'm thankful for people of like mind as well. I do a lot of traveling. And I found that when you start praying about it, I told the Lord, I said to the Lord, you don't tell the Lord anything, but <laughs> I said to the Lord a long time ago, I said, Lord, I don't want to just do the circuit. I don't want to wear myself out doing a circuit and try to fill a schedule. I said, I'm, I'm looking for hungry people. And people of like mind. And, you know, he has been so gracious to put me before hungry people and people of like mind. And I, I feel like Winner's Church is that kind of place. So thank you for your giving, for your generosity. Thank you for all that you've done to make me feel welcome. The second thing on my mind, I hope this is okay, Pastor Siggy. I would like to invite all the children and teenagers to come up here. God put it on my heart. If I could get Mr. Keyboard Guy back up here for a little bit. Is, where is he? So now, you guys, you're bold, aren't you? This is what I kind of felt in my spirit. Can I get you to line up facing that wall, guys, and stand in front of me? Yeah, because I want to lay hands on y'all. Is that okay? Yeah, shoulder to shoulder, guys. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I was taught by my dad, by my grandparents, <laughs> that you are not the church of tomorrow. You are the church of right now. How many of you know Jesus? He, he's living in your heart. How many? You happy about that? Tell your face. <laughs> How many of you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit? See, now look, now you're talking about double trouble for the devil, right? Before I came to this meeting tonight, I had two requests. One lady sent me a message. She said, my nephew is vomiting blood right now. Would you pray for him? And a good friend of mine, they have a miracle family. The doctors told them they'd never have kids. They had two. <laughs> I could tell you a long, involved story. But now they've just had their first grandbaby. And he sent me a message. He said, she's struggling to breathe. Would you agree with us in prayer? Now, I know. I've already prayed that God's going to give her life in her lungs. Because, the, see, here's what I know. The enemy has targeted each one of you, to interrupt what God has done in your life. He's trying to take away the gift that God has placed in your heart. But as a minister of the gospel, I'm determined that the enemy is not going to have any one of you. Is that okay? And not only are you going to be receive prayer, but you're going to pray for others. Is that all right? 
and you're going to see people be healed. So if you would, everybody stand and stretch your hands this way. I'm going to pray for those two requests, and then I'm going to come and pray for these young ones. Because I just see an army rising up. And if you want that Holy Ghost power flowing through you, would you guys lift your hands? Just you lift your hands to the Lord. Just lift. And that's it. Lift them high. Just lift them high. Right now we're doing business with Jesus. Right now we're going to the throne of heaven. Right now, he's hearing our prayers. So pray with me. Father, I thank you. You've already heard the cry of the woman whose nephew is coughing up blood. We don't know the answer or the problem, Lord, but we do know the answer. And I thank you, God, that even as we gang up on the devil tonight, these prayer warriors that are standing in front of me, hear their cry, Lord. Send your healing virtue to that young man even now and cause the bleeding to stop. Lord, bring complete healing by the authority of Christ. And Father, for baby Ada in Norway that has just come into this world, I thank you, Lord, that you're giving life to her lungs. You're breathing air into her lungs right now. She will breathe normally and never have a problem with her lungs. We declare it in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, as I lay hands on these young people, God, young people, I want you just to close your eyes and talk to Jesus right now. Tell him what you want from him. Jesus, I thank you that you're laying your hands on these young folks, God. The nail-scarred hand of Jesus, who has set us apart from the world, who's called us to know him, whom to know right is life eternal. He's called us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to dream his dreams, to hear his voice. Lord, you said that your sheep hear your voice, and a stranger they will not follow. And I pray for these young ones, Lord, that from a young age their ears would be anointed to hear when you speak. I pray, Lord God, that in their heart they would feel your presence, Lord, and you would begin to shape in them a picture of their future, a future and a hope, Lord God, to be protected from all the advances of the enemy, to be surrounded by angels, God. Let them even be blessed to see the angels that surround them, Father. Lord, I pray that you would put your word in their belly. Let it be like fire, God. I pray, Father, that as they speak, lives will be changed. I ask you, God, that you would begin to do things that they could only dream of, Lord. Because you're not a joke, Lord. You're not a joke. You are Lord of the universe. You are the God who sees us. 
You are the God that loves us. You are the God that sets us apart. You are the God whose hand is on us. And we receive your touch right now, Lord. Father, we don't always understand at this age who you are and what you want to do in us. But I take authority over all the works of the enemy that would come to squelch out your voice, God. And I thank you, Father, that these ones are preserved for the kingdom, preserved with your might, preserved with your power, Lord. I thank you, God, that even now you begin to use them. Raise up young evangelists, I pray, Lord God, that even in the school system, they would speak of who you are, Lord God. Give them a boldness and a confidence to live for you. In Jesus' mighty name, I thank you, Lord that we're going to learn how to heal the sick and how to cast out devils, Lord, and how to begin to speak so that people's hearts are touched and transformed. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. How many are you excited for what God's doing in this generation? Are you guys excited? Give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Come on. Give Jesus a hand clap of praise. You can go back to your seat and behave. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've always had a heart for the younger generation, and when the Lord called me to preach, can I tell you a little bit of that story? It might help somebody here. Um, I started out, I think I told you this morning, in the field of education. I was a junior high school teacher. I was a high school teacher. I taught English, everybody's favorite subject. <laughs> I taught in a Christian school. And then I went to school to become a principal of a Christian school. I went to what is now Regent University and got my degree and. Then I went to the Bronx, New York, and planted a school. It's one of the first Christian schools in the Bronx. And I was content. I was, uh, we were building a work there. And the thing was, I was working with a home missions project of the Assemblies of God, a church planting. And so when the pastor would go out to raise money for the church, he asked me to preach. And I said, oh, no. No, I don't do that. You got the wrong shambok. That's my dad. He said, no, Donna, I know you can do it. You know how to put sentences together. You're going to preach. I need somebody in the pulpit. And I would do it reluctantly. And there were people that would come to me and say, wow, you can do this. You really ought to get licensed as a preacher. I said, no, you got the wrong shambok. No. I don't even know if I believe in women preachers. You know? And uh, there were a lot of people who agreed with me. <laughs> but there was enough people saying that they saw something on my life. My dad uh, never did. He never forced me or told me that that's what I would do. He always said, you have to find out for yourself. And I'm glad he was that way. But I said, okay, God, if this is something that you want for me, I want you to clearly say it, not through another person, 
not through my dad, not through a pastor. I want to hear it for myself. Do you know it took him four years to answer that prayer? And I had forgotten I even prayed it. But Saturday, like a lot of teachers, it was my sleep-in day, you know? That was my day to really get into that deep sleep. I'll never forget it. It was 5 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday where I felt an invisible hand grab me right here and pull me out of bed. I was wide awake. And the Lord compelled me to go to my chair in the living room and open my Bible. And he said, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. And I started to read about how John the Baptist came to be. And I was, it was speaking to me in a way because I saw that God was doing something new in a generation. But I got to verse 17, and the Lord said this to me. He said, I'm raising you up in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And at that time, I knew the Lord was taking all that I had learned in Christian education, all that I had lived out as a, a minister's daughter, seeing great things, that God was beginning to shape a future for me where the platform would be broader so that I could reach more of the generation. But can I tell you this? I've never felt more committed to the call than I do this day. Because if ever a generation needed to know the power of God and signs and wonders and that God is real and that the Bible is the truth, it's this generation. So I'm sold out to see what God's going to do with our young people. Amen? Amen? But Pastor Ziggy, this one's for you. So he also put together three words. Now, of course, I knew words, but I had never heard them put together like this. He said the word missionary, teacher, evangelist. And he said, this is the call on your life. I had no clue what that was. I knew what a missionary was. I knew what a teacher was. And I certainly knew what an evangelist was. But I had never seen all three together. But about five years later, when my dad asked me to come and join him, and that's a whole different story, um, the Osbournes invited me to go to Uganda with them on their second trip. And God let me see what a missionary teacher evangelist was right in front of my eyes. And it gave me a vision to begin to work for. It didn't happen right then. It didn't happen for 22 years later when my dad passed away. And then 30 days after my dad passed away, and I'll be talking about that tonight, God began to open up that call that he had showed me almost 30 years previously. So I, I say that to encourage you. We don't just jump in the pulpit because it's popular. And we may not even feel that God could use us in the pulpit. I certainly didn't. I didn't want to be in the pulpit. But I have to tell you this, whether it's on the street or in the pulpit or in the classroom or in the hospital, wherever we are, if we yield ourselves to the Lord... Open our mouths to speak. God will speak through us. Do you believe it? I believe it too. And in doing that, there are blessings. I told you I'm going to give you some dessert tonight. There are blessings 
of divine surprise. You know, we've walked through a very heavy season in our nation. A lot of people have lost loved ones. And I want to talk about how we commandeer that, uh, those times, because God has special uh, surprises for us. I grew up in a household of faith, as you know. I was taught the word of God, not just in church, but my grandmother that I shared a room with, my uncles, my aunts, they all knew the word. They all preached the word. They preached to each other. Our supper table, after we ate, everybody was preaching to each other with their Bibles. But the word of God in our lives was paramount. Nothing else mattered. The bedrock of our faith was what the word of God says. It was the system of truth that governed our lives. Can anybody relate to that? From a young child, I knew about the saving power of Christ. I knew about the healing power of Christ's blood. And I learned firsthand about the power of the Holy Spirit. I was baptized in the Holy Ghost at age nine. And I've been privileged to see so many miracles, I've forgotten more than I remember, to be honest. Some people ask me, what's the greatest miracle you've ever seen? And I'm not trying to be cute. I've seen a lot of great miracles, and to me, they're all great. But there's none that tops, <laughs> still to this day, the miracle of seeing somebody who is entrenched in sin, an alcoholic, a drug addict, somebody who's perverted, get the, the Lord getting a hold of their life, bringing them to a place of tears and brokenness, seeing them cry out to God and hit their knees, and when they get up, there's a new countenance on their face. Hallelujah. They've passed from death to life. And I had the privilege of sitting on the platform and seeing thousands of people each night Respond to the call of Jesus Christ. See big burly men on their knees with big juicy tears coming down their face. Nothing took the place of that for me. So I've seen so many miracles. I've seen families put packed together. I've seen financial miracles. But not only that, the faith that brought those miracles was modeled to me by my parents and by my grandparents. So with that foundation, the reason I'm talking to you about that, you know, there are days as believers that we are on top of the world. We know the word. We're filled with faith. You know, some people used to say you feel like going devil hunting with a switch, right? <laughs> but I've also learned, and I think it was even more intense after both of my parents made their trip to heaven, that there are some days that you don't feel your faith. There are some days that your faith is tested. There are some days where you recognize that you may have had enough faith for yesterday and for your history but you don't know if you have enough faith to make it through today. Can anybody relate to that? Because each day we get a new challenge. Each day there can be uh, something else that surprises us. And so that's why we have to understand that our faith isn't based on yesteryear. Now I'm going to say this to you, and I listen, I receive every word you say about my dad 
as a joy. I love to talk about them. I love to rehearse uh, the miracles that took place and how God used him. But I have to tell you, sometimes it's a little much because there are people who glorify the past. I think it's because they're hungry to see God move like that in this generation. But we can't look back and say, I want that because that is not going to work for today. What we need is the faith to confront the devils in our generation. We can build on that. We can say that is our booster to get up to the next level. But God's going to pull us up to a new level. Hallelujah. He's going to strengthen our faith for the new. And I believe you already have it on the inside of you. We just have to learn how to exercise it. I'm going to tell you, God put every muscle you ever needed in your body, right? Do you know that every muscle, where every muscle is? You don't know until you use it. And when you use it for the first time and you use it too much, it starts talking to you. Because you have never exercised it. And it's the same with faith. There are faith muscles that God has given you that you have never exercised. Do you remember the time, the, the first time that God told you to put $100 in the offering? Ooh, did that hurt. I remember I was, I was in a, uh, that pioneer work in, in the Bronx, and I was the one that needed an offering. And I think I had all of $100 in the bank account. And I was at this concert of a very well-known man. I think he was from Oklahoma. And he began to take an offering. And there was a stadium full of people. And the Lord said, give $100. And I said, oh, no, that's not the Lord talking to me. You know what I need, Lord. And the Lord says, you're going to give $100. I said, not me, sir. No. I, that's everything I've got, Lord. He says, you're going to give it. How many know you can never out-argue the Lord? You can't. He, see, he was testing a muscle that I hadn't exercised yet. So I wrote it out, and I said, okay, God, this is for the generation that's being touched. I'm sewing into it. Didn't feel the faith. But can I tell you something? Once I did that, my base offering became $100. I can't explain how. My salary didn't change. But there was something that happened to my faith. Because I saw that I didn't lose anything. I only gained because I exercised my faith, right? And so that's how it's going to be in this world. There are going to be times that God asks us to do things that we haven't used that muscle yet. But he wants to strengthen those muscles, right? Hallelujah. So... While he's strengthening us, there are times that circumstances come along. Can anybody say, my soul is a witness? That seemingly come out of nowhere. And I want to read a passage that I've been looking at lately in Judges chapter 14. It's the story of Samson. 
when he was going to find himself a woman. And if, if you read this story, it's very perplexing because it's not really totally a spiritual story. Samson was anointed of God, and he was anointed to be a judge in Israel, but he made some really poor choices in his life. In fact, his parents tried to talk him out of going after this woman, but he went anyway. But the Bible says the Lord was in it because God was going to use that relationship to actually defeat the enemy. So don't try to figure it out. Just say, okay. (laughs) But I want to start reading at verse 5. And this is what happened on his journey to, to get a bride. And I'm reading from New King James. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And then verse 8 After some time, when he returned to get her, his bride, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating, and when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now, The reason why he didn't tell them is because he had a Nazarite vow. He was not supposed to touch anything that was dead. And they weren't supposed to do it either. So the whole passage is a little bit of a mystery. But I want to look at some of the points that bear out in our life. We know that Samson was anointed. Now, just because we are anointed and set apart, that doesn't mean that there are stages of growth spiritually in our life. You know, we can still be anointed and willful. We can still be anointed and disobedient. And there's ways that God deals with those things. Now, we don't, we don't uh, manipulate that, but you know what I'm saying. The anointing is something that God does. He touches human flesh that he's still working on. Can I say it that way? So here Samson is. He's going along the path that he thinks is the right path. And while he's going to get the woman that he believed God has for him, out of nowhere comes this lion pouncing on him to destroy him. How many of you know that we have an enemy that has been described as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? And so you and I have to understand we can be walking along the path that we believe God has determined for us. We believe we're walking in God's will. We really haven't done anything wrong. We're trying to do everything right when all of a sudden something comes and pounces on us to destroy us. This is something that you and I have to understand. When Jesus called us to follow him, he did not say that our life would be trouble-free. 
He did not say that we would live free of pain or free of circumstance. In fact, he said, in this world you will have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I can't usually put those two together, but he said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, right? So he told us the truth that the lions will come. There are going to be attacks that spring upon you, and you don't know where they came from. And we could pass the microphone around, and each one of you can remember at least one in your life where something hit you out of nowhere. But the good news is that God will never allow something to spring upon you that he has not equipped you to handle. Are you hearing me? He's already equipped you to handle everything that comes your way. And what is that equipment? It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The reason why Samson can turn could tear that lion from limb to limb was because the anointing of the Lord came upon him. He couldn't do it in his own strength. And you and I can't talk a devil out of uh, doing what he wants to do. We can't persuade him. We can't give an argument, but we can, with the anointing of the Holy Ghost, tell him, devil, back off in the name of Jesus. I belong to him. I'm his property. I don't care what you bring against me. I will live and fulfill the call on my life. We're empowered to deal with anything the enemy brings against us. But see, one of the things that the enemy does, he's ferocious. He likes to roar. He likes to scare us. He likes to make us think that he's got more strength than we do. That's why I used to love every time my dad said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We've got to learn to say that every day of our life. Because there's going to be a time, and my soul is a witness, when mother and father are not there any longer. There's going to be a time when the pastor is not around because he's really an evangelist. No, that was a joke. (laughs) There's going to be a time when we have to learn to fight the enemy, not by ourselves but with the anointing that God has given us. So, you know, I want to say this, and I used to think it as a teenager. We'd go into New York City regularly uh, with the tent for 30 days in the Bronx. And we got to know a lot of the folks who came as family. And many of them heard my dad on the radio, so they were believers. But as a daughter, you get a... Uh, a view of things in a little different perspective. And so, you know, one year you see people come through the line three times to get a slap on the head. And then when you come back the next year, they're in the line for the same thing. Because their faith is more in the man of God and the power in his hand than in Jesus. When he's trying to convince them 
he's leaving them in the city. They better learn how to have the pastor of God, power of God. Because what if he doesn't make it back next year? You see, what we, what that generation did inadvertently was we raised an over-dependent church. A church that was dependent upon a word from the prophet, a slap on the head from the evangelist, a, a pat on the shoulder from the pastor, a, a word of counsel from the counselor. We needed, we needed somebody else to hold our hands as we struggle through this life. But I'm going to tell you something. The world that I'm observing, where they're trying to separate us one from the other, when they're trying to confuse us and divide us and to be at each other's throats, it, we better know in whom we have believed. We better know his name. We better know how to use it. We need to understand we are anointed of God. And whatever the devil throws our way, we are able to deal with it because we are the anointed of God can somebody shout yes now I love the next part of the story because you know when Samson was coming back the Bible talks about him going over to look at the carcass that puzzled me I wondered why was Samson going to look at the carcass of the animal that almost killed him. You know, what was going through his head to bring him over to that carcass? Was it to say, hey, man, did I really kill that lion? There's the evidence. I really did kill that lion. It's still there. Or did it, was he doing it like some of the people in the church? Oh, man, did that lion almost kill me? Oh, that was a bad, bad day. That was a day where the devil almost took me out. That was a day. Oh, I made it by the skin of my teeth. Woohoo. See, we have an overdramatic church, too. Boy, we can come together and jaw with the best of them. We can tell all about our operations and our prescriptions and how the doctor upped them. And, oh, I had that too. And, oh, my back went out and I found a chiropractor. And, you know, we can talk about everything but Jesus. Why do we want to go back to the dead thing and celebrate what's dead? Leave the dead thing alone. Yes, we all have battle scars. Yes, we could all tell horror stories. Yes, we could tell you how bad it was. But I want to tell you how Jesus brought me out. I want to tell you what he did for me. I want to tell you how he helped me combat the attention of the enemy. Hallelujah. See, there might be a memory of the fight, but it's what we dwell on that takes us to the next place of victory. How do you choose to remember the victory? Do you remember the pain or do you remember the victory? I remember, listen, the, I, the Lord called me in 2016 to go to Pavos 
which is a suburb of uh, San Jose in Costa Rica. And Pabas was actually created uh, by the city to be kind of a, a business center. And part of it was they had their embassies there, very posh uh, and very wealthy. But there was a river that ran through it, and they put an e another airport in Pabas. But what they didn't count on, that when people were landing from other South American countries, there were people who were coming with the same problems in the other countries. They're coming with their poverty. They're coming with their gangs. They're coming with their, their drugs. And so on the other side of the river, there was another side of Pavas, which was a gang-infested area. Now, there were churches there, big churches. And when I met the pastors, they were in tears. They said, we've been asking ministries from America to come and do a crusade in our area for 10 years. He said, you're the 10th person we've asked. I said, I don't mind being number 10, you know. <laughs> but I said, what do you need? And they said, our kids are killing each other. These gangs start when the kids are 14 years of age. They um, scare them saying they'll protect them, but they have to be initiated into the gang, and part of that is selling, and part of that is murder. And they're terrorizing people on the streets. And these, these pastors are standing there telling me this with tears coming down their eyes. I said, I don't mind bringing a crusade, but how much support am I going to get from you? Are you guys going to be here? I said, I'll come back in six months, and I want you to have pastors here. When I went back in six months, there was a hundred pastors that said that they were going to have a crusade. And so I knew that God was in it. But listen to what happened. When we went in to get that crusade, the pastors, some of the pastors didn't want to go into that, that scary area because of the crime that was there. They wanted the beautiful stadium on the other side of the street. And in my spirit, I'm going, that's not where God's going to bring us. Never been in a beautiful stadium yet. <laughs> but I saw the field. And I was listening to the pastor. And finally they said, oh, we can't get the stadium. We have to use that field. I say, do tell. And the field was right in the heart of the gang warfare. And the day that we landed, we had security that was already paid for. But they called us. Now, this is how the enemy works. The day that before the meeting was to start, there was somebody that was assassinated right on the entrance to that field. And the um, security company backed out. They said, we're not coming. And I thought my crusade director was going to back out, too, if, if I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I, I said, no, we're going to do this. I said, God will give us another security. You know what he did? He raised up a motorcycle church right there in Pavas. And I had a whole crew of motorcycles. Hallelujah. I had heaven's angels. <laughs> so I, I took all the ministers. I said, go to Walmart and get a big old bottle of oil. We're going to anoint every blade of grass. We're going to anoint the platform, the entryways. God's going to have his way here. And that's what we did. And I was telling my crusade director, I said, you know what we did in Mexico? 
the pastors paid for a helicopter, and they took a helicopter up over Mexico City, and they dumped gallons of oil all over Mexico City, had the greatest crusade that was ever in Mexico City. Well, I was just telling the story. But the next day, my crusade guy says, yeah, the helicopter guy told me that your helicopter is ready. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah. He says, if you want a helicopter, it's available. You don't have to pay nothing for it. I said, get me some oil. And we went up over the city of Pavas, and we poured oil all over that city. Now, this is how Jesus works. I'm telling you, these are the stories I love to tell. That first night, there had to be 7,000 people on the field. The first one to answer the altar call was the head drug dealer, the head gang member. He got saved because one of the pastors who used to be involved in the gangs opened in prayer. And when he saw him open in prayer and that God had changed his life, he said, I want my life changed too. The next night, he brought back 10 more gang members to get saved. The next night, he brought another 10. One that was in the hospital watching on television, he gave his heart to the Lord. He was an assassin for the gang. This is what I'm trying to tell you. We can't figure it out in the natural. We just have to say, the lions are going to come. But when God calls you to face the lion, he has equipped you to deal with the lion. And it's not by our might or power, but by the Spirit of God. Do you know after we packed things up in Pavas, there were 60 gang members that got saved after we left? I saw the pictures of them getting baptized in water and planted in the church. See, God, He is about transformation of communities. But it's going to take people that can match the boldness of a lion. Won't run from the lions, but will face them. I don't have time to tell the story. Maybe when I come back, Pastor Siggy. But what I found out, that Pavas was just dress rehearsal. Because three years later, guess where God sent me? To the city of Chicago, Ward 15. I didn't know one pastor. I didn't have a tent. God wanted me to put a tent up in Ward 15. The man who invited me to put it up, who was the alderman, I can speak freely here, right? He was a homosexual married to a man. And I said, what, God? I'm going to do a Holy Ghost tent meeting, and this guy is the one sponsoring it. But you know what he said? This, this is going to rock your world. He said, I, I was determined I wasn't going to work with this guy until he said this to me. He said, I am trying to get the pastors outside the doors of their church. He said, our kids are killing each other. My 14-year-old, same thing as Pavas, my 14-year-olds are killing each other, and I can't get the pastors outside of the church. I need an event. He said, I don't know what you do. I don't know what a tent meeting is. But if you want to bring your tent here and you think you can get the pastors together, I'll shut down 69th Street for you. And he did. See, listen, 
You know what the church told me? Don't you go into Chicago. You wouldn't know the pastors that said to me, you better not go. There are people that have lost their shirts that are better than you. And they began to name them. I was raising money from a church to go into Chicago, and a little old, sweet old little man came up to me and said, don't go to Chicago. They'll rape you there. I wanted to rebuke him so fast. You know, if you're afraid of things, it can happen in your own hometown, right? But it, the safest place you can be is smack dab in the center of God's will. <laughs> it took us three years to get that tent up, but I'm going to tell you something. The, it was worth it all. <laughs> When I gave the first altar call and all the deacons from the Baptist church were the first ones in the altar call. <laughs> and then the, the young man who came up to me and said, Sister Donna, thank you for coming to this neighborhood. We know people don't want to come here. See, I'm going to tell you something. There are people that are hungry for a life-changing word. They're hungry for hope. I've seen it all through my dad's ministry. I don't do things just because I want to wear a badge. Because I know you don't just go up, get up and do something. You hear from God, you test it, you throw out a fleece or two, <laughs> you have counsel with different ones. But I'm going to tell you something when God's in it, He will walk you through each step. I got to tell you this, Pastor Siggy, because I know you can relate to this. That first tent meeting, we did two in Chicago. That first one, I spent a little bit too much money <laughs> because I wanted to, to be successful. But the budget, I won't tell you what it was, but I had probably one-tenth of the budget 30 days out. 30 days out. I said, okay, God, did I, did I miss you? And I was going in for the prayer meeting before the tent meeting with the pastors, and the Lord said to me, take an offering. I said, Lord, I told these pastors I wouldn't receive an offering from the people, that this would be like a mission strip. He said, take an offering from the pastors. He said, they need to get some skin in the game. Go in there. Oh, you're all in now. <laughs> And I said, he said, doesn't matter what they give, they need to give something. Oh, go ahead, so I was getting ready to go talk to the pastors in the prayer meeting, and the man who sponsored me and his, his assistant <laughs> were sitting right there, and I was like all sheepish and everything. I said, so pastor, I said, I was praying, and the Lord told me that um, I need to receive an offering from the pastor. And so the assistant speaks up and says, receive an offering. We told them we wouldn't. I said, I know. But I said, what they're, it's, they're not going to value something they don't have anything invested in. I said, I'm not asking for a certain amount of money. I'm just saying put something in. So then he began to think, I'll never forget it. He says, well, you know, every summer we do an outreach, but we're not doing it this year because of the tent meeting. And I'm usually able to raise $10,000. We'll put that $10,000 in. And I looked at the pastor like, is he speaking for you? And the pastor says, we'll do whatever it takes. There's 10000 While there, As soon as he said that, while I get a text from a big ministry out in Arizona. 
They said, we're sending you $5,000 for the tent crusade. Just like that, within 30 seconds. I went and I took the offering. There was another, I think, 4,000 that came in. When I got home, this is all in 24 hours from I took the offering. When I got home, <laughs> my finance person said, $30,000 just came in. I had almost the entire budget in 24 hours. <laughs> See, we can't always see it with our eyes. We have to know it in our spirit. But God is changing us from faith level to faith level. He's given us muscles we haven't used yet. But if we want to see revival, we got to stop thinking small. It's not right that only one little white girl from Texas is going into Chicago. We should have a hundred churches going into Chicago, a hundred ministers going into Chicago. Those leaders are destroying that city that God has poured his anointing out on. And God has said that he is going to bring revival again. But the church has gotten lazy and sat down. They've been on the take from the government and they're afraid to open their mouths. But it's time we say I'm not owned by Washington, D.C. I'm owned by the throne room of heaven. And if God says go, I'm going to go and I'm going to see the power of God revealed come on shout yes glory yes go ahead Jesus <laughs> the lion's going to come right and, and a lot of times when the lion comes we have to remember that we have to go back and remember what God did and celebrate the victory and not the defeat. Amen? But let's tell you the rest of the story, and I love it. When Samson went back to look, he saw a swarm of bees. And the bees were making honey in the dead thing. And he scooped up that honey and tasted it, and it was good to him. You see, honey represents the presence of God. Honey represents the favor of God. That honey is the surprise of God's favor. And what we've come to know, that in that dead carcass of that fight, there's always something good that God brings out of the fight. God is the one who knows how to redeem what the enemy has meant for evil. He turns it around for good. But the enemy wants us to keep remembering the fear. He wants us to remember the fight. But God is looking for a people that are looking for the honey. They're looking for the good. They're going for the gold. They're going after souls. They're looking for the miracles that they can celebrate to say, look at God. He is alive. He's not dead. Hallelujah. Out of the dead thing. Out of the defeated foe, out of the surprise attack of the enemy, came a surprise gift from God. 
This is the kind of God that we serve. I, I, I tell the story not everywhere that I go, but when the day that my father passed away, January 17, 2012, the day before, we had just had uh, one of the... Um, no, it was the week before. We had just had one of the impartation, but the day before, I had been in the studio with him to do opens and closings for Daystar for February. And so the next day, I had to go back into the studio and do more opens and closings to let people know that Brother Schambach had gone home. I have to tell you, that was one of the hardest things I ever did. But when I got back to my car... I was sitting in my car, and it felt like the weight of my dad's ministry fell on my shoulders. It felt like a crushing. And I began to weep. I said, God, I can't carry this. I can't carry it. I don't have his shoulders. The Lord spoke to me. He said, I never told Joshua to go back and pick up Aaron's rod. He said, I told Joshua to use his feet, that everywhere the soles of his feet would tread upon. I'd give it to him if he would heed my word, if he would keep my commandments. And he said, I'm making you the same promise. He said, if you'll be faithful to me, I'll take you places your dad has never been. And so I took the Lord at his word. In other words, he was telling me, you don't have to be your dad. God knows there's a lot of people out there trying to be my dad. Yeah. <laughs> I got news for them. They ain't. <laughs> I didn't really need to say that, but I got it out. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't have to be my dad. I have to be the one who listens to God for my own life. But I say that because that was one of the hardest times of my life. My mother had gone a year and a half previously. I had spent the, the, the previous decade being their caretaker. So my whole life was them, you know, in ministry, at home. It, I didn't know anything else. 30 days after my dad passed away, I got a call from these two young missionary evangelists. Sister Donna! Will you come preach with us in Costa Rica? And I said, well, how many am I preaching to? Oh, about 5,000. I said, why do you want me? Well, we kind of underestimated our budget for $5,000. Can you bring 5,000? I said, a dollar a head. That's cheap preaching. I'll come. And I went, and I knew that I had to deliver but I didn't feel it. And I wish I could tell you I spent three hours in prayer that afternoon. I didn't. But I said to the Lord something like this, Lord, you got to show me something tonight. That's it. you got to show me something. In other words, I knew what he had said to me 22 years previously, but I hadn't seen it yet. And that night, I got up, got to the stadium, and I felt that Jesus was already there can't explain it to you. He beat me to it. The presence of God was so strong. I had my Bible, and I was holding it, and I was rocking back and forth. I felt like a caged lion. Please let me get up and preach. You know one of those? 
But when I stood at the podium, I just began to talk to the people. I said, we didn't bring to you an American God. We didn't bring to you a white man's religion. In fact, we just came to lift up one name. It's not our name. It's the name of Jesus. And what I have found out that Jesus isn't hanging on a crucifix, but Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive right now. And as a matter of fact, he's walking all up and down these aisles. He's come to touch you and meet your need. She's talking like that. And I, then I started to open the word to preach a little bit. And all of a sudden, this guy comes out of the stands and gets on his knees and starts weeping, repentance, crying out to God, beating his heart. His heart. And the ushers are looking at me like, what do I do? I don't want to interrupt the service, but what, you know, and I just did this to them. And so I started to read my scripture. All of a sudden, here come two more from this direction. Here come two more from this direction. So I paused. And I, I started to preach a little bit. I mean, just a baby bit. And here comes three from this direction, five from this direction. And finally, I just said, I told you Jesus was here. I told you he's walking all up and down these aisles. Jesus is interrupting my message, and he's welcome to do it anytime he wants to. I said, if you need a touch from Jesus, now's the time. Well, the floodgates opened. And everybody in the stands came to the field. They were weeping and crying out to the Lord. They were getting healed on the spot. The pastor, who is now my crusade coordinator, he was wiping tears out of his age, his eyes. The young guys are coming up to me like, I've never seen anything like this before. I said, neither have I. <laughs> but let me tell you, remember... God knows how to get you where you need to be at the right time, even when you haven't used those muscles before. And sitting on that platform, I didn't meet him that night, but he got word to me. He was a bishop that had contacts all over South America, and he said, you tell Donna any place she wants to go in South America, I'll open the doors for her. And that's when the doors began to open for missionary, teacher, evangelist. I didn't have to do anything but say, Lord, you got to show me something tonight. See, he knows when we're sad. He knows when we're grieving. He knows our hearts that we want to be used. He knows our desperation that we don't have the answers. He knows our empty bank account. He knows our greatest mentor is in the grave. He knows it all. But he also knows how to move in and take over and begin to show you who he is. And if we can just tie into who he is, hallelujah, we can have the future and the hope that he has pictured for us. Glory. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to make one more point about this story. You study it on your own. But Samson made a riddle out of this story. And with the riddle, uh, you know, he, he was able to slay some of the um, Philistines, not all of them. But um, when I look at that story of the lion and Samson destroying it, and then the dead carcass, and then the honey. It actually 
I began to think of it as like a prophetic word for Samson at the end of his life. Because if you remember, Samson got cocky. And he began to take the anointing for granted. And he began to disobey the Lord more and more. And as a result, he made one fatal mistake. And the enemy got an advantage over him, remember? And they, he became their slave. And they gouged out his eyes. He was blind for the rest of his life. And he became bound. And he, they used his strength to grind out wheat, remember? Perpetual bondage. A lot of ministers have gone that route because they took the anointing for granted and they disobeyed God one too many times and they ended up bound up with a thing. Anybody hearing me tonight? But there was something in Samson's spirit that still valued the anointing. He, he could see the dead carcass. He was it. But he remembered the day that he dipped some honey out of the lion's carcass. And on the day when 3,000 of the Philistine enemy were meeting in the big hall, he said to the servant boy, put me between the two pillars. Let me get between the two pillars. And then he began to pray, Lord, let me feel that. And he began to press, and he began to press, and he began to press, and something began to rumble, and something began to break. Something began to tear from the roof. The roof came crashing down on Samson and 3,000 of the Philistines, and the Bible said he killed more in his death than he ever did in his life. Why? Because one more time, the Lord let him sense the anointing. And I say this to you all because sometimes we can look at the church, Pastor Siggy, and we can be despondent. We could say, it's never going to be like it was in the past. People are too confused. They're, they're not loyal. They don't read their Bible. They're not praying. They don't value the Holy Spirit. Everything's a show. You know how we talk, right? But I believe that there's going to be a remnant of people that get sick of being the devil's slave. They're sick of being underneath. They want to be on top once again. And they're going to get into their prayer closet. And they're going to say, God, I blew it. I made some mistakes. I didn't value the anointing that I have felt in the past. But God, do me a favor. Let me feel that anointing one more time. God, this is our time to see the enemy defeated. Use me, God. Amen. You see, that is the blessing of divine surprise because God is looking for a people. God is looking for a people who value the anointing, not just a hoop and a holler, not just a good feeling when we come to church. But God empowers us to throw the devil off of our back, get him out of our ear, cast him out of our home, 
cast them out of our family members and say, you know what? I got a job to do. What could God do? How many members do you have in your church? Let's say 75. 75. Let's say it's 84. How many more times was that than the original 12? Right? The original 12 that turned the world upside down. If the original 12 turned the world upside down, what could 85 do? You think revival could come to Oklahoma City? You think we could turn Oklahoma City upside down? How about the whole state of Oklahoma? How about we go to Chicago and turn something upside down? See, we got to go back to the dead things and find the honey. We got to find the things that God helped us out of that situation, not by our might or power, but by his spirit, he made us strong. Some of you need to get your strong back. Some of you need to get your strength back, the strength of your prayer, the strength of your declaration, the strength of your conviction. Stop giving in to the devil's lies. You start talking back to him. (laughs) Sit down for a minute. We'll tell you one more story. (laughs) Then we're going to pray. The year I joined my dad, he asked me to be the general manager of his ministry, which I do have administrative abilities. I'm not the best, but I I have them. But he also wanted me to be the afternoon speaker for his tent meetings. So, you know, I had to kind of take one cap off and put another cap on, especially in the summers. And I'll never forget when I first started to go to preach, when going into New York City, these voices used to speak to me in my ear. And I could still see the little blue love seat in my first house. And I was sitting, and I heard these voices saying, you don't need to go to New York. You don't need to go to that tent meeting. You got too much work here at home. And I started to agree with them. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I got a lot of work to do. I'm going to be missing three weeks. I should stay here. In fact, those people don't even know who you are. Well, yeah, that's true. In fact, it's hot in the afternoons. Who's going to come to hear a woman preach in the afternoon? I'm going, yeah. You know they're only coming for your dad. I go, yeah. You don't really need to go. And then he knows how to turn the knife. After all, you're just a woman. And I go, yeah. Sometimes we agree with the devil, and we don't even know it's him talking. (laughs) So I called my dad, you know, in that state, and I remember my head was bowed. It was like this voice was sitting on my shoulders, and my head was bowed. I called my dad, and I was feeling all this angst. And, you know, when you don't have peace, that's not of God, Right? I call my dad and I go, you know, Dad, I've been thinking I'm going to be gone for three weeks. You don't really need me in that afternoon service. You know, they're coming for you. You know, they don't know me. They're not going to come out to hear me. Why don't you get somebody else? I can take 
He says, I hope your bags are packed. And I knew what that meant. Yes, sir. See you tomorrow. But I still felt that heaviness, you know. And I'm, I'm bowed down, and uh, I hear this other voice. It's a sweeter voice. It says, Donna, who called you to preach? I said, you did, Lord. Who put you with your dad to preach in the afternoon service? I said, you did, Lord. Well, who would be telling you not to go? And I said, yeah. I said, that lying devil. And all of a sudden, I stood up and I squared my shoulders. I said, devil, you're not going to talk me out of the ministry that God called me to. I want you to know I'm called of the Lord. You didn't call me. He did. And I'm going to the Bronx. And I hope you go on the front row because you're going to see people get saved and healed and delivered. And then all of a sudden my hands started doing this and it was for about 20 minutes. And when I got done, I looked around. That spirit was gone. You see, the Lord gave me a picture of how the enemy works against us. He batters us. He oppresses us. And he, he changes our posture and he turns turmoil in our spirit. When you start thinking about doing something for God and you've got confusion and turmoil and fear, that's the devil. That's not God. That's why you need to begin to speak to that thing and say, I'm going to walk until God tells me not to. I'm going to go forward till he tells me a reason not to. And when we do that, see... We learn to tell the devil who's boss. It's not us. It's Jesus in us. Amen. Amen. And I want to I talk to you. Some of you, you have allowed the enemy to do a head trip on you. You know you're called. You know that God has a ministry for you. But you've given in. And maybe it was at a point in time where God wanted you to use a muscle that you hadn't used yet. It's trying to grow your faith. But tonight is your night for deliverance from that. Tonight, I want to come in agreement with you and pray with you. Stand, everybody stand to your feet. Might not be everybody in the room, but if you're here tonight and you say, Donna, I've had a tendency to go back to the dead thing and celebrate the carcass rather than the honey. And I've allowed the enemy to discourage me and hinder me and do a number on my head. But I'm done with that. I want you to pray for me. If that's you, just right now come and stand shoulder to shoulder as we do. I want to pray for you. Because I really believe, listen, that God has an assignment on this house. Oh, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. This touches me. This touches me. Does God know where we are? That means he's got the way out too. 
Just lift your hands to him right now. Just relinquish it. Just begin to confess, Lord, no more. I'm not going to be bound up by any devil from hell in my thoughts, in my thinking. I'm not going to be oppressed. You know, if you were here this morning, you heard me preach about the importance of prayer. And these things go together. If we're not praying, that really gives place to the devil in our thought life. If we're not in the Word, if we're not hearing the voice of God, there's a breakdown in communication in our spirit. So they go hand in hand. So tonight, not tomorrow morning, tonight when you go home, I want you to break open your Bible. I want you to really get alone with God and say, Lord... It's going to be a new walk from this day forward, Lord. Lord, I'm going to walk free of the devil's barrage. But I ask you, Lord, let me sense that anointing one more time. God, begin to exercise my faith muscles, even if it's in a way that I've never been used before, God. The presence of God is so strong right now. I almost don't want to interrupt him. If you're wise, just lift your hands and, and drink it in. Just drink it in from him. Drink it in from him. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, out loud and on purpose. Yeah. Jesus, we acknowledge your presence tonight. Jesus, we acknowledge your freeing presence tonight. Jesus, we acknowledge your freeing presence tonight. You break every chain. You break every chain in our spirit, God. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God. Now, when I come and I lay hands on you, I want you, if you would, to take a step back to your seat, but go back and pray in the Holy Ghost. You might want to get on your face before God so I can get to the person behind you. But God is touching you already right now. Right now. He's breaking chains. He's, you might feel fetters pop in the midst of your spirit. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I thank you that this is a man of God who hears from you. There is no confusion that can beset him. I thank you, Lord God, that you have called us as your servant. Lord, there has been a buffeting. There has been an enemy that's tried to step in and distract us. And we've been fighting. We feel like it's been a depression. But I declare in the name of the Lord, it is not a depression. It's just a lie. It's a smokescreen. And I say, be gone in the name of Jesus. There's new strength rising up in your spirit. It's already been there, but you're exercising it with your praise muscle and your prayer muscle. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, that you're touching minds and touching hearts. 
and freeing us. Just begin to open your mouth. Open your mouth and begin to speak the high praises of God. There's a wash of his presence coming over you even now. A wash of his presence. Yes, all the, the dredge, all of the stuff. It's draining. It's draining. And fresh water, fresh water, fresh strengthening. We're drinking from you, Jesus. He kara karashi roboti kanando rurukok. I speak supernatural rest. Supernatural rest. Our nights will not be robbed. Our nights will not be robbed, but our nights will be filled with the presence of Jesus. For the household, for the household, for the household, the Spirit of God manifest. The abiding anointing. Oh, the devils won't even stick a toe in that house because of the Holy Ghost force field. Hallelujah, Lord, you're establishing us as your power operators, God. Mm. There's a restoration coming to your spirit, a restoration of, of firing up, a rekindling. It's been a physical drain on you. There's been a physical drain on you, but... But the Holy Ghost is coming in in such a way. I speak new energy, new life, new health, new health in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I break the bands of oppression off of this life in Jesus' name. No circumstance, Lord, is going to thwart your purpose, God. But, Father, you are already at work. There's an expected end and a future, God. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God. You're doing the work. You're doing the work. Lord, you are acquainted with our inner thoughts. Father, the things that we've said to you privately, no man knows. But, Lord, I thank you that you're a God who hears us when we pray. But until we see the answer, Lord, we're not going to stop thanking you. We're gonna, not going to stop praising you. We're not going to stop speaking of the honey <laughs> that comes out of the rock, Lord. I thank you, God, for the supernatural. You're revisiting us, Lord, the things that we've known. You have not been put to the side. You have not been forgotten. But you have been in a place where God is letting you taste your hunger. You're tasting your hunger for the things of God, not the things of the flesh not the things that come from man's hand. You're hungry for the real thing. You want to bite into the real thing. 
And so, God, I thank you that you've whet our appetite for the things that you're bringing into us even now, God. Even now, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the fresh revelation. I thank you that we have not run dry. I thank you, God, that the rivers will burst forth, Lord God. We will not hold them back. The devil is a liar, and we declare that you tell the truth. You are not a man that you should lie. And what you've spoken, you're going to bring it to pass. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you for it, Jesus. Lord, we're not afraid to exercise those muscles that haven't been exercised in a long time, God. But, Lord, we're ready for the fight. We're ready, Lord. Make us fighting ready in the Holy Ghost, God. Who remando koroshi. Sometimes it feels like we stand alone, that there's nobody that sees it like we see it. But God, I thank you that you've had us hidden in the hollow of your hand because you're shaping us, Lord. You're showing us how to hear your voice, Lord. That we would not follow a strange voice, God. But, Father, we would be obedient to that voice behind us that says, don't turn to the right or to the left. This is the way. Walk ye in it. We thank you, God, that you're doing the work. You're doing the work. Warrior woman, rise up. Warrior woman, rise up. Warrior woman in the spirit realm. Warrior woman in prayer. Warrior woman, release it. Release it. Release it. Release it. Release it. Don't hold back. Yes. Yes. Release it. Release it. Yes. Release it. Release it. Release it. A generation, a generation is counting on it. A generation is counting on it. Lord, you hear our questions and our, the analysis that goes on in our thinking. And what about this? And what if that? And I don't understand that way, Lord. And we try to work things out in our thinking, Father, before we receive it into our spirit. I reverse that right now. But, Father, I thank you that you are developing ears right here in our spirit man. That first it will come to our spirit, and then the revelation will come, and the understanding will come. Lord, impart to us that which we need for the next. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, you got quiet now. Pray in the Holy Ghost. 
We're breaking through, God. We're breaking through. We're getting above the waves that cause turbulence, Lord. We're breaking through to the level where we can see clearly, Father, and ride smoothly in the Spirit, Lord, where we can have clear communication, God. I thank you, Father. You're pressing. We're pressing. We're pressing. Oh, Ramando Koreshi. We haven't forgotten, Lord. We haven't forgotten, Father. It may look like we've forgotten, Father. It may look like we've gotten quiet on you. But it's been a quiet season, Lord. But inside we're burning, Father. We're burning for you. We want to see you at work in our life, God. We want the next that you are bringing into our spirit, man, God. And so we release it right now. We release it right now through our prayer life, Lord, through the work of the Holy Ghost, Lord. Even in dreams and visions, Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you, God. I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's something in your past that you've been kind of stuck to. That, you know, you felt like it was a good thing and you loved it at that one time and it tends to hold on to you and you hold on to it. But the Lord says you're coming out of that. You're stepping away from that. You're coming out of that closet. (laughs) That's held you back from the next. Don't be afraid of the next. It may not look like the past. It may be different, but Father, we receive it from your hand. We receive it from your hand because it's going to be honey, Lord. It's going to be a surprise to us what you do in this generation through us, God. You're a God of eternity, so it's not new to you, Lord. It's just the Kairos moment. You're releasing it, Lord, right now through my sister, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can you lift your hands? Begin to praise him. Lord, I thank you that you're breaking us out of old patterns of thinking, God. I thank you, God, that we're learning stop gaps that when we hear those voices that want to put us down or discourage us or hinder us, that we'll, we'll interrupt them and say, shut up, devil. I forbid you to speak. I'm listening to my father. I'm listening to my father. He's the very present help in the time of trouble. Call to him. Call to him. He's present. He's here. He's near. He releases us even now. Just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
He's releasing us. He's touching us. Having a hard time standing up right now. I'm just going to release you in Jesus' name. Let the Holy Ghost do the work. He's doing the deep work. He's doing the deep work. He's breaking the fetters. Yes. He's breaking it. Tradition, go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. Yeah. Fresh. 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 Oh, a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. A fresh move of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I thank you, God. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Oh, I thank you, Father. Released from every frame of thought that is of the flesh. Everything that we brought with us from childhood. We drop it behind us right now. And we say, I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have passed away. And all things have become new. I thank you, God, for the newness of revelation in this spirit, God. I thank you for a freedom to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, bold as a lion. Bold as a lion. I'm not going to step back. I'm not going to be intimidated. I know in whom I have believed. They're going to look and say, what happened to him? He was gentle as a lamb, but when he opens up his mouth, there's a boldness of a lion. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for it. 